This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hello and welcome to yet another episode of Green and White brought to you by Argyle Life. Footballing heartbreak this weekend as the finest of margins and quick lapses of concentration provide the toughest of lessons for both Argyle and the Lionesses. This weekend saw the Mayflower meet the unsinkable force of the Titanic as Southampton fans departed Plymouth with all three points aboard HMS Piss the League. Our first home league defeat since April... So Argyle lose 2-1 to Southampton. I'm not sure if any of that makes sense, but here to provide the proper footballing know-how is Dan Ellard. How's things? Hey, mate. How's it going? I'm good, thank you. Joe Bell, how's things? I think we're struggling if we're relying on us three to find sense out of all of that. Speak for yourself. And John Allsop, evening? Uh, hi, Aaron. He's back. I can see this is going to be good. Good evening. John. You were amongst the sellout crowd at Home Park, to which it's a bit hard, mate. I wouldn't wouldn't call myself a sellout personally, but um, oh, good. You were uh, amongst another sellout crowd at Home Park, to which Southampton provided none of the atmosphere. Why don't you run us through this one first? Uh, yes, I was there with uh, Dan, who is also, of course, um, with us tonight, to so had the same sort of vantage point as him. Um, I mean, first of all, and, and, and you know, I, I will, I promise I will sort of stop being as wide eyed as I am at the moment over the course of the season, because, you know, there is the business of staying up to get on with. And I think, you know, we've proved that we're not just here to have a nice time and make up the numbers over these first three games, as I'll get on to, I'm sure. But, um, you know, it was just a cracking occasion, wasn't it? It was first and foremost, just an absolute joy to see a game that had so much quality on offer. Um played out at Home Park, a stadium where over recent years we've obviously been much more used to watching, um, you know, <laughs> football of a much less high calibre, let's say, to be diplomatic about it. Um, and, and yeah, obviously to have the place completely full, the away end bouncing for at least two minutes before kickoff, before we sort of silenced them for most of the game, um, was was really great. You know, it was, it was kind of a riveting, high-octane occasion. And I thought a great game of football, a great advert for the league, as football cliches might have it. Um, but yeah, it was it was great stuff. I think Dan at one point turned to me and said, you know, this is the sort of game that you'd be very happy just to stick on the TV and sit there and, and watch it play out. Um and, and yeah, and so to be treated to that as a as a as a spectator in the crowd was um was great. Um so that's yeah, that's the kind of wide-eyed wonder 
segment of what I have to say out of the way. Um, in terms of the game, yeah, I felt like, you know, on, on the whole, it was, I'm not going to disagree really with those who say it was a really positive sort of performance overall. Um, but I think the sort of things that worried me coming into this league over the summer, sort of in the end, did for us. You know, it, we we were very positive in the first half, got into lots of pretty great positions, had some really slick attacking interplay. Um you know, I was sort of somewhat surprised. I was not particularly surprised to see Kundal on the team sheet. I had sort of called him coming in for Callum Wright in the pub as before, as Dan can attest, but somewhat surprised to see Azaz in there. Um, and yet, you know, I, I felt that those two linked up really well. You know, Morgan Whitaker had one absolutely filthy piece of skill down on the on the right-hand touchline that set up a, a sort of move. Um, Mumba was his kind of usual tricky self, at least in the first half. And yet, you know, we got into some really good positions and did not, execute the final ball and when you don't take those positions against a team like Southampton who we all knew were going to have a lot of the ball um you know have a lot of individual quality that was probably going to come back to bite us and and, and in the end it did and you know I felt overall that we we probably deserved to lose the game now that's not you know to to have a big moan about it um you know we deserve to lose the game very marginally to a side that clearly are pound for pound much better than us on paper um with the winning goal put away by a striker who if rumors are to be believed um you know is is, is imminently on his way to everton for a big transfer fee and therefore won't be playing in the championship again for at least another 9 months <laughs> um but uh yeah, um, you know, we acquitted ourselves really, really well, and that's something to be proud of. But obviously, you know, there, there were elements of, of ruthlessness there. And I think, you know, sort of to come back to the idea of, of this sort of wide-eyed wonder that I started with, we could have got something yesterday. And it doesn't really matter that we didn't. It, you know, our season's not going to be decided on, on games like yesterday, but we could have got something and, and probably should have got something, really, if we if we put some of those opportunities away in the first half that we crafted, uh, and if we'd not had a couple of silly lapses in concentration. So even though, you know, I, I do think we deserve to lose the game on the balance of play, we could have, we could be we could be here very easily discussing a different result. And I think we need to just make sure that we're we're, you know, a bit more clinical, uh, a little bit less naive, maybe at this level. Um, I think we very clearly fell off towards the end of the game, whether that was tiredness or the substitutions we made or some combination thereof I would probably argue the latter um you know I I sort of felt like the goal was was coming by the time it went in for them even though it was obviously a late kick in the teeth in many respects um but that being said you know Morgan Whitaker with an absolutely sublime touch from that raking crossfield pass had had wended his way into the box and and you know while it was a shot that hit the post it probably wasn't you know as as close as that would maybe imply to going in I think Bazuni may have had a good chance of saving it had it been a few inches to the uh to the right but um you know from his perspective but um you know it was it was a good chance and ultimately that could have rebounded out and been tapped in and, and we could be sitting here talking about a 2-1 win so yeah fine margins as you mentioned at the beginning I felt we did deserve to lose on the balance of play but obviously a huge amount to be positive about um over the course of the 90 minutes Joe, anything to add on the stupidly titled South Coast Derby? Yeah, I think it's very interesting what John's just said because whilst the ultimate objective of this season is survival and anything more than 21st place in this division is a bonus, I'm not trying to be the overcritical one this early in the season, but in the last two games now, we had the best chance in a stalemate at Vicarage Road and we didn't put it away. And in the first half, we got ourselves into three or four unbelievable positions that we could have only dreamt about at the start of the game. 
against a team of that quality and we didn't have the final touch we didn't have we weren't able to make that pass we weren't able to to fashion an opportunity um so i th- already we're three games in and that's nagging me a little bit um and maybe that's just because of this group demanded such high standards last year and the season before um i've just carried it over what i will say however is i thought for 75 minutes um i thought it was a real contest um, there was very little between the two sides. Um, they probably had the little bit better quality when they were in position, uh, possession. Um, at half time, what did we have? We had Bazunu hadn't made a save. Hazard had made one where Teller fashioned an opportunity. Um, I mean, the, the second half, they came out through absolutely everything at us in the first five minutes. Um, I think we all, deep down, we all thought at half time that this is a contest, we're in it. But then I think I certainly had it in the back of my mind that at some point here, Southampton are going to have to go through the gears. Um, I didn't quite expect it to be from the first whistle. I mean, they had a corner after about 20 seconds of the second half restarting, I think. Um, so they came at us quickly. We, But let's be fair, their first goal hasn't come from... All right, it's come from a good finish, but it's not come from individual brilliance to break us down. It's come from a mistake. It's come from a lapse of concentration by two young players who will learn from that. And that is what this season is going to be about. We have a very young squad and there are going to be naive little errors and it is going to be individual mistakes that sometimes will cost us. But that's what you get with a good, talented young group. Um and then obviously there's the slip that that leads to our goal, but it's a brilliant cross from Whitaker that's gone into the perfect position. And Hardy's run, I don't think, is getting anywhere near enough credit to get through the defence the way he does, to get in front of the defender to tap it home. Um, and then if I'm honest, as much as Southampton were really threatening that last 15 minutes when I, I felt we dropped off, um, Maybe it was fitness-wise. Maybe they just wore us down with their their possession play. Um, I didn't actually see a winner coming, if I'm honest. The most threatening they were was when Hazard pulls off one of the best saves I've seen at home park um, from the free kick. Um, Obviously, they they even tried to bundle Hazard into the goal to try and get one. Um, But... Other than that, I didn't see Southampton scoring, if I'm honest. And the the sad thing is, just before that corner takes place, I turned to the guy I sit with at Argo and we both said this now would be a cruel time to lose it. And 15 seconds later, Che Adams is in trying to provoke Zoo Corner, which wasn't the wisest move in the world. But um, it is what it is. Look, we've gone toe-to-toe with essentially a Premier League side that's worth a couple hundred million. Um, and we've, for 70, 75 minutes, we've given them a bloody thorough test. Um, so let's take the positives out of it. It's an individual error that's cost the first goal. It's, I mean, they've got lucky that it's failed to Adams the way it is because Hazard pulls off another brilliant save from Armstrong's header. So let's not beat ourselves up too much. And yeah, take the positives out of it. Hope there's not any long-lasting injuries in the group and go again next week. John's already name-dropped you in his earlier chat about the inclusion of Kundal and Azaz. 
um, instead of Callum Wright and Adam Randall. What did you think of those changes? Well, Cundall, as as John alluded to, was perhaps more of a predictable one with, OK, not an ex-club thing, but a, an ex-manager dynamic being in there, you know, knowing how Russell Martin's sides play. So that one uh, was feasible. And I thought he did... Whilst he was, you know, one of the one of the players that was a bit wasteful um, with that final ball, he was he looked really sharp. You know, he carried it up the pitch well, technically, and kind of I think the technical ability of of him and and from Azaz really shone and showed how we can just ping it around really quickly. Maybe like a kind of quickness of thought is, you know, that's the kind of next stage of that. And that's where Southampton's technical players kind of exceeded ours in terms of ability. But I think, you know, I I think they both did really, you know, really solid jobs in there. Um, It's it's a shame that, you know, Azaz, we had that brilliant uh, break, the three on two in the first half where... Yeah, he just passed it straight to the defender and I think probably would have been the option would have been to just chip it over the defender to to get in. I think was it Mumba, I think, on the on the left side that was in. It's one of those, isn't it? But you think what if? But um, you know, I think that yeah, they both did a good job. It was it's it's a bit harsh on Adam Randall, I think, to be dropped. Um I think he's had a good first two games. Um but you know, his his time will come again. Schumacher talks about having not rather than a starting eleven and subs, he talks about starters and finishers. And it's a it's a long season and a squad game. So, you know, Randall will get back in. I'm sure we'll see Butcher at some point. We'll we'll hopefully see hopefully Warrington can bed himself in some more. He didn't have a great cameo off the bench yesterday, but you know, give him time and he'll I'm sure he'll improve. He's still young. Yeah, it's 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 a squad game and you know, who knows who knows uh, how we line up at Birmingham, which is uh you know, if we can't work it out, then Birmingham are going to struggle with their, you know, their analysts are going to struggle to uh, to find out as well. Well, it definitely won't be Ryan Law getting the winner this time. That one we know for sure, unless there's some last minute deal that we don't know about. You need a striker, Aaron. He had that winner at Birmingham a couple of seasons ago brilliantly. So, you know. Imagine bringing Ryan Law back in as a championship starting striker. That would be a madness of a move. But I can't remember whether it was you, John, or Joe that said about having a young squad and we're going to make. Oh, it was Joe. Well, I'll ask John anyway. That first goal from Nathan Teller, obviously the mix-up between Kane Kessler-Hayden and uh, Luke Cundall there. Do you, do you, you just expect Kane Kessler-Hayden just to take control of that situation and clear it, don't you? Yeah, I think so. I mean, that was what I kind of initially thought when I saw it live and then having watched it back a couple of times. I think, yes. I mean, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a really sharp Premier League quality goal, isn't it, in, in some respects? Um I think it's Adam Armstrong with a kind of angled pass that you don't really expect to go where it's going. You sort of think maybe you'll lay it out to the side or something like that. Um, <clears throat> the finish is opportunistic and, and crisp and right in the corner. And, and obviously, yeah, but, but but ultimately that is what's going to happen to you at this level if you give a, even a sniff of a chance like that in such an appealing position to, to a team which have as much quality as, as Southampton do. So, yeah, I don't, I don't necessarily want to go like all in on... on blaming Kessler Hayden or, or Cundall particularly for it because I'm sure that we'll have other moments in the season where other players will have a lapse in concentration um, you know there were other players yesterday who had a lapse in concentration at times that, that didn't get punished right it's not sort of a blame game thing in particular but yeah I think I think in those sorts of situations it's just kind of hesitation on both of their parts right and you do want at least one of them to step in and, and take control of it and I would say Kessler Hayden of the two was in the more natural position to just kind of get a foot in and, and, and clap that one away 
I think what I loved about it, though, was just how quickly we, we responded. And, and I was going to make this point in my analysis, actually, and kind of forgot to. But we've seen so much fearlessness from this team last season, obviously, a lot, you know, in a lot of occasions. And, but also, you know, very early in this season, we sort of went to Watford and didn't seem to fear them and, and created chances and played our game. Huddersfield, we've obviously scored two goals in the second half, which I think kind of epitomised that attitude. Um, and I think that equaliser really showed it yesterday, right? You know, Whitaker, yeah, of course, there's a slip, but you, you could sort of see Whitaker getting ready to turn inside. And when the defender falls on his backside, he goes, well, actually, you know, I'm just going to have you. I'm going to run really, really fast. I'm going to get past you, whip a ball in. Hardy's in there. It's an incredibly clinical, hard finish. And that, yeah, and that sort of epitomised that. And I think maybe yesterday, like, we just didn't quite exhibit enough fearlessness on other occasions. It maybe looked like at times we... I don't know if I don't I don't know if we respected them a little bit too much, but there were sort of moments where we seemed to not play the right pass because of the sort of unfortunate lack of quality. But there were other times where it just felt a little bit like we were sort of afraid to like have a go or, or put the ball in the net. I think that like that for me is probably the bigger thing where I kind of encouraged the players to kind of say, you know, let's let's just continue to be really fearless and let's take those chances rather than saying, you know, let's kind of obsess over every little kind of lapse in concentration and mistake. There will be, you know, th- those will happen throughout the season. And, and you know, as happened yesterday, they will get punished. And maybe, you know, there needs to be a word, which is like next time that happens, one of you just, for goodness sake, get rid of it. But, right, yeah, rather than trying to kind of, you know, be a bit too clever in playing out. Um, but I wouldn't, you know, equally, I wouldn't want to lose that kind of fearless out from the back play that we also showed at times yesterday and have showed in these first three games of the season like on the whole I think that's a net positive and actually you know later on in the game when we started trying to having to sort of push the ball maybe a bit longer up or uh, you know we sort of invited a bit more pressure on ourselves so I think for me it's more about taking the positive of how we immediately responded to that goal and saying let's kind of be really encouraged by that and extrapolate that over 90 minutes the next time we play a team of, of you know of Southampton's caliber because as Joe said, you know, they're a Premier League quality team on paper, probably, um, pound for pound. Um, obviously, we found badly wanting last season, but that team would compete in the Premier League, I'm sure about that. And yeah, we and we competed with them. So yeah, I think I probably would prefer to focus more on the positive of how we responded than the, the error itself. But yeah, clearly it was an error and, and you do sort of, as you, as you said, expect and hope maybe that one of them would just um, get red on that occasion. Yeah, you just always want your defender just to take charge of that situation and just get rid You've mentioned it a bit there, um, John, but obviously Southampton's lead only lasted a minute and a half. I know the feeling. Dan, why don't you talk us through that second goal? Hardy's equaliser. Yeah, well, I said to John when they scored, you know, let's try and keep a foothold in the game here. You know, it would be easy for, you know, Southampton's tails to maybe be up and then all of a sudden, you know, we're two or three down and the game's completely gone. So kind of thought or hoped, um, did see a little bit uh, when they played Sheffield Wednesday opening night that they did, I mean, they were so good that night, but they did to an extent, once they scored, they did kind of maybe take the foot off the gas a little bit. So that was a hope that, you know, maybe um, they'd sit back a little bit, let us have a bit more of the ball um, and we'd be able to get, our wingers on the ball um, to kind of go tactics truck a little bit. I do really like um, the way we're running, uh, operating our system a lot of the time where uh, one or both of the fullbacks will, in, will invert and kind of go into that centre midfield role, not necessarily to get the ball, but just to drag a lot of opposition players centrally. And um, Whitaker and Mumba, uh, the two wide players, will drop kind of quite deep, but right on the touchline. Um, with the purpose of getting them on the ball and and running, you know, 
1v1 against a defender. Um, we saw that in the Huddersfield game when Mumba got it on the left side and then, you know, jinxed through a few defenders and then obviously scored. And then we saw it again um, on Saturday, with uh, yesterday, with, um, you know, like John says, a bit of good fortune with the slip, but it is getting Whitaker on the ball. It's getting him one-on-one with the defender and, and being able to run at them. And that's where they will be... That's where they're, you know, that's where they're so good and, and so dangerous. So I think it's a really good um, tactical system from from Shuey. And I, I, you know, some people are saying, yeah, we need to get Whitaker more involved. We need him more, cent- you know, play him centrally, whatever. Um, I I disagree. I think this system where we play them out wide and this inverted fullback thing, which gets them on the ball uh, in deeper areas, is is the way to go. And I think it will continue um, to create goal-scoring opportunities for us. In this instance, as John said, a really kind of positive drive forward um, from Whitaker. Really good cross. And yeah, Hardy's finish, absolutely superb. No chance for the keeper. Um, yeah, really, really good movement. Um, and a, just a fantastic response. You can't, Again, it's, it's... Certainly this result doesn't make you think, you know, the bubble's burst or whatever. But, you know, you feel like at some point, the bubble will properly burst and we'll get tonked by someone. But time and again, we just seem to kind of find an extra gear and find something and just whether it was last season when we were just winning every single week or this season when we're now taking it to proper championship teams, um, it's just fantastic, you know. And I really I really like the way we're playing. I really like the way Schumacher's um acquired players and set us up as a team and it's it's just really good to watch as john alluded to it's it's less of an obligation watching argyle right now you know through our love of the club i'm sure we'll all still go and we were all going when we when it was league two and on all that stuff and we were pretty dire but now it's just watching real kind of quality football and the close control and the technique and the movement of a lot of our players not just the new ones you know some of the existing players from last season as well it's just really, really good to watch. So more of the same, please. On your um, Whitaker point, it's kind of interesting. I think, I think if you know the people who are saying they want to see him more involved is a, is a misunderstanding of how he plays and how he sort of suits us. The, the thing about him for us has always been that he's a difference maker, right? It's he's, he is always ever since he joined on loan last season, sort of occasionally floated in and out of games, and and you know some games he's been fairly anonymous, and then after seventy minutes, we'll go on a surging run, drill one into the bottom corner and it'll win us the game. Um, uh, or, you know, so often a 5-1 defeat, as, as was the case at Charlton last season, about a year ago from from this week, I believe. But, um, yeah, you know, it's... it's um, He's not a player who is kind of on the involved, you know, like Duracell Bunny, always on the ball. Um, although I, I do think is is some of his defensive work is a bit underappreciated maybe sometimes. But for me, it's, it's really about, you know, him doing that run where he surges and takes advantage of the slip and sets up Hardy, doing that jinking run at the end where he hits the post. You know, it's not necessarily has to be someone you always notice as having a super positive impact all the time. I think he's a player who just has that bit of quality to to make a little bit of a difference for us. And and yeah, obviously I think yesterday was a great example of that, albeit unfortunately on the losing side. While we're talking about Hardy's uh, equaliser, I think we need to have a discussion about that collision with Bazunu. Aaron, the word collision would imply that there was contact. Hmm. I'm still calling it a dive. What, was, what, what are your thoughts on that, Joe? It is a collision because there is contact. It's minimal contact. Um, and then the question lies, who instigated the contact? And for me, it probably looks like 
parties instigated it. I'll be honest with you, it was, it, you know, um, I don't know where you guys sit in the ground. It was very difficult for me because I'm sat 70 yards the other end on the opposite side of the pitch. I'm on the in behind the home dugout in the Mayflower Upper. So the view I had, um, as soon as the referee blew his whistle, with the view I had, I expected him to point towards the Devonport end and to point towards the penalty spot. Um, so when he pointed the other way, I thought, First of all, that is a huge decision to make in a game like this. When you've got a full house on the television, team just relegated from the Premier League, team on the up with all the momentum. To make a call like that, um, I thought you have to be totally sure of your decision. And having seen it back, I think the referees just about got it right. What I will say is that Ryan Hardy does not dive. Ryan Hardy is not the player who will throw himself to the ground. However, what I will say is my biggest gripe about this whole situation, why is Ryan Hardy throwing himself to the ground like that? Why has he not gone round Bazunu? Because actually, I think he would get to the ball with the pace he was showing. I think he would have got to it. Um, and with a better touch, we would not even be having the discussion about whether or not he gets to it or not. Or even one of his classic little hot dog. Exactly. Things. Can I tell you what I think has happened? If you want. Is I think he has anticipated that Bazunu is going to clean him out. Maybe because you just anticipate contact there, or, or because or because Bazunu has a reputation for being something of a clumsy goalkeeper, which I would say is, is well earned. He sort of anticipated that he's going to be cleaned out, has started going down, and then Bazunu actually, if you look at the replay, has done a very intelligent sliding, but then sort of he's pulled his chest back, so there isn't really any contact. So, yeah, extreme benefit of the doubt, I think you could maybe say that that's that that's not exactly a dive because it's not sort of an intent to deceive. It's not simulation in the extent to the extent that it's intended to deceive the officials, but it's also not a penalty because there's really no contact. I, I see what John's point is because I think actually in League One, a goalkeeper would have come out, would have bundled Hardy over Agreed. and that would have been a penalty. I think that's that's the first difference that we've seen in the three games is that that's a goalkeeper, a Premier League goalkeeper... Joe, I would prefer the word to goalkeeper who has played in the Premier League. Thank you. You know, two years ago, wasn't even the best goalkeeper in League One during a season um, and still got a multi-million pound move. Anyway, that's by the by. Danny Cowley is shaking his fist at you somewhere. Good. That's, as as John says, maybe that is what it is. But I know that Ref Watch is coming up, so I don't want to go too much on David Webb at the moment. So um, let's move it on, Aaron. Two questions in one, really. A few silly free kicks given away in and around the box. So the first one is, how much do we have to thank West Ham for snapping up James Ward-Prowse ahead of this one? I'll give this to you, Dan. And the second one is uh, Hazard, three out of ten. Are you having that? <laughs> I've seen that tweet. And my God, I I hope for his sake he'd had a fair few pints before the game because if he's watched that sober and thinks it's three out of ten, blimey, maybe go and watch Bowls, mate, or something. He's at least a four, surely. <laughs> yeah, I think and the rest, and the rest. Uh, well, yes, you could say, yeah, uh, James Ward-Prowse might have stuck one of those free kicks away, but at the same time, um, I think it was Stuart Armstrong, the second half one, wasn't it? Or was it Was it Adam? It, it was a very good free kick. It wasn't right in the top corner, but it was a it, it was hit really hard, kind of kind of threw-ish the wall. Uh, I'm not going to blame the wall too much, but yeah, it was kind of up and slightly through the wall. But just what a save. I, 
it's an incredible, incredible save. Um, I don't it's like a FIFA can... save where you, where you almost don't believe the physics of it, right? Like it's like one of those saves yeah. on FIFA when it like hits the keeper's hand and balloons up into the air and you're thinking that would never happen in real life. Cause... Yeah. And as um, I, was, I watched it back on Sky yesterday, and um, as I think Don Goodman pointed out in the comms, it's, you know, it's not just the fact that he's got there. It's the fact that he's got there and got enough of a glove on it to tip it over. Just a just a brilliant, brilliant save. I did. I think I did say to you at the time, John, didn't I, that would Mike Cooper have saved that? And that's obviously not. Let's not go into you know, is you know, is is Cooper going to struggle to get back in the team or whatever? You know, Coops is a brilliant keeper and still our number one. But um, yeah, Hazard has done a terrific job there. And I think, aside from the difficulties in the Huddersfield game with, you know, some of his passing being a bit um bit awry in difficult conditions and, you know, a few long kicks yesterday uh, that weren't quite right. I think he's done a really good job. He's a clear upgrade on Burton. Burton came in last season and, and did a did a very solid job, got us over the line. But Hazard's that different level above. I can't believe you're saying that with Joe on the call. Yeah, I, I, I know, I know, but you know, it's 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 getting to the stage now where yes, when Coops is fit again, he will come back in. I'm, I have little doubt of that, and probably the main uh, aspect of that is the fact that Coop is playing out from the back this way that we really want to, you know, knock a ball to out to a centre back and play from there, or knock it into Houghton's feet as the pivot, and then he pings it out to a full back. That that suits Coops more. Um, and, and, you know, quick distribution and accurate distribution if we're countering as well. Does it, though? Because I, I remember having a conversation about Cooper last season that with his feet, it's not brilliant, but from his hands, he's exceptional. So is that not the same? Well, I think it's the it's the aspect of his game that may stop him from being a Premier League regular uh, in the future. I think I think he still may be, but it is a weaker aspect of his game. But I still think that... Um, his distribution is level above hazards. Um, but that said, it's I expected probably perhaps off the back of some um, pre-season feedback that we'd be sitting here at this point of the season like, oh my God, when's Coop's going to be back? We desperately need him and all this stuff. And that's not to do a disservice to you know either of the keepers that we've got, but I expected it to be like that. Whereas now... I'm I'm perfectly happy with Connor Hazard in goal. I think he's done a very good job the first three games. Um, and it could get to the stage where, you know, we don't need to rush Coops back. We can just, you know, make sure that he's fully ready, fully fit, and then they can battle out for the number one. Yeah, a couple more then before we move on to the Twitter questions. Um, two man-of-the-match performances from Lewis Gibson in the last two games. Uh, Joe, you mentioned on Twitter that you've got something to say about his performances. I do. Um, and I made the thing that it's going to be a bold claim, whether or not um, it's as bold as I initially made out, I don't know. Um, and I'm making this decision after three appearances, you know, so there is a an air of maybe going before, you know, pulling the trigger too early on this. You can't pull that trigger too early. I've already declared that he's my favourite player and that he's absolute class, so... Excellent, because my claim about Lewis Gibson is he's the best central defender that I've ever seen at Plymouth Argyle. I think he is absolutely outstanding with the ball at his feet, winning headers, tackles. That clearance he made in the second half yesterday was unbelievable. And he was straight up off the ground, sprinting out of defence, dragging everyone out with him. 
I think his composure for somebody who's as young as he is um, with relatively how little game time he's got compared to other people in that position, um, he's only going to get bigger and stronger. And I think, I'm not sure what his, how long a contract he signed when we got him in the summer, but with his level of performance already, clubs will already have taken note of his name and... I personally hope he has a long and distinguished career with Plymouth Argyle, but this is a kid who is going to That's the top. That's an absolutely huge claim when you when you consider... Feel free for our four listeners to clip that up and play it to me at the end of the season when he's fifth choice behind <laughs> Brendan Galloway on a Zimmer frame. <laughs> I, I'm going to stand by this till I'm blue in the face that Lewis Gibson is the best oh, centre-half I've good, ever seen I don't, I don't think I can make a claim like that just yet. I think it's still Timar, Bradley, Nelson. Bradley? Sonny Bradley. I was a big in fan. Lee, in Bradley. League 2? Nelson's the one I have an issue with there. But... And yes, also that. But he also definitely played more than two games. Zach Viner getting support here. Even, I think, yeah. Okay. Craig uh, Cathcart. Yeah, maybe not. It's like, it's like we're having a game of Culver House here, here now, isn't it? If anyone list, listens to that on TalkSport. And I still have no idea what the rules are. Um, but the rules are available on their website. I'm a Mornington Crescent fan, but that's class. Um, Freddie Wood, Freddie Wood. My girlfriend has just audibly sighed across the room from me. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code buttery exclusions apply see site for details picture the scene all of your mates around you've got your mcnugget share boxes ready to go partner this with your team playing champagne football perfect order mc delivery now on the mcdonald's app there's nothing quite like a mcdelivery at participating restaurants 18 plus serving times delivery fee and terms apply see mcdonald's.com Gibson, um, yeah, I, I'm not gonna, you know, I'm not gonna jump on the Joe Bell hyperbole train, as a friend of ours would say, um, but um, because it has been three games, and, and now Joe, of course, has condemned him to concede a penalty and score a goal at St Andrews next week. But um, no, he is seriously, seriously impressive. Um, I thought he was my man in the match against Huddersfield. Uh, it was not at Watford, but the consensus was that he was very clearly man of the match up there. Um, and I thought that was that was true again yesterday. Um, you know, the official award was not wrong about that. Uh, yeah, I want to focus on that double block that he did for a minute because I said this to Dan at the time. We were sort of sat behind it at such an angle where you could see. I can't remember who it was you were shaping up to shoot the first one. Was it was it Armstrong or, or Teller? I can't remember. But we were sort of behind that angle as that player shaped to shoot, and you could see Gibson sort of organise his body 
in such a way as to be able to get a block on that. You can see Gibson's thinking, there's a chance this guy's going to kind of cut past me and dart to the byline, in which case I need to be ready for that. But I think he's going to bend it across goal and I'm going to have to stand in this particular position with my body shaped like this and block it. And he did. It's exactly what happened. It was incredible reading of the game. And then, yeah, to get up and block that second one, not only block it, but sort of cannon it out all, you know, all the way to the halfway line. Could have on on a different day set up an attack if you know if it if it had fallen to one of our players. It, I think it did end up with the ball back with their keeper. It's it's above and beyond the level of last ditch defending that you expect. You know, I've been really really pleasantly surprised. We've conceded what we've conceded three goals in three games ultimately against a team that were in the Prem last season, a team that were in the Prem the season before that, and a team that somehow were once in the Premier League <laughs> um, a while ago. You know, given our record last season and the fact that the sort of pundit take about us that, you know, that maybe has us below Ipswich and their uh, ilk in terms of their predictions for us this season was very much that we were not a great defensive side considering we got 101 points. The, the discipline with which we have defended our box on the whole has been absolutely majestic. And Gibson, I think, has been the the absolute linchpin of that. And yeah, as much as I lo- as love Dan Scar and think he deserves to stay in the team, so don't at me anyone. I'm, having seen... Clegg Wizuelo's highlights and watched him against Lake Norian in the flesh. If there is ever an occasion where we get a, a plaguey Gibson centre back pairing, I am quite excited for that at this at this moment in time. Just on what John said there, I just want to jump on what Dan said in one of his roundups earlier about how he, you know, there may come a time where the bubble will burst and we'll get a tanking. I actually don't think that this group will get a tanking this season. Birmingham City for Plymouth Argyle nil. Mark this down next week. <laughs> With a Lewis Gibson hat-trick of own goals. We, you know, John was just saying there about how our, def- our defensive record perhaps wasn't the best with the teams that we were around and things like that. And everyone was banging on about what our XG against was and total shots against and all that nonsense. Um, but... I re- from what I've seen of this side, I just cannot see them being breached to the level that we say that's a hammering. Um, because we also know that we've still got two quality defenders who are still coming back to fitness as well. Now, I know that there's the caveat with Galloway that there's always going to be a fitness concern, but when he is on song, he is an outstanding centre-back. And we know what we're going to get from Maka when he's back. We know what we've got from Pleggy. And these two at the moment are just absolutely brilliant together so um i think it was something that they very clearly wanted to address in the summer and they've done a bloody good job of recruitment in addressing it from what i've seen yeah in the just first to jump on games. that quickly as well i think it's it's worth noting how well scar's done in a back four i think a lot of us perhaps would have been you know wondering given that he was just so perfectly suited to that middle center back role uh, when we played a back three last season, to then adapt to play right centre back in a back four, he's looked he's looked really good. And I think yesterday, yes, he had that slightly weird moment for the winner where he just seemed to put his hand up and not kind of go for the header, which is a a strange move and a bit of a shame. And he should have been sent off. No, he shouldn't have been sent off. For context, um, our regular pod member Sam <laughs> thinks that his challenge in the first half was a red card, and well. I'll just leave that there because oh, I don't even know what to say. He's done he's done a really good job so far at right centre back, and this player that we signed in the summer that turned down European football to come here is struggling to get in the team right now. And and I'm sure his time will come, be it at right back or centre back or or in that holding role. But right now, he ain't getting in the team. 
Yeah, we have a Twitter question about the the three changes, so I won't ask you now, but I did actually think that maybe Pleguazela would have been a better option than Warrington to come on just to shore up that midfield. Yeah. And after the, the red card, when I saw it the first time, I thought, oh, God, that, you know, if VAR was in play, he could be walking here. But, um, yeah, I don't think. It's one of those orange ones. Talking of um, orange, yellow, red cards, Joe, ref watch? Ref watch, yes, right. Um, and we'll go straight in on that tackle um, from Dan Scott. And for context, all the people around me thought it was a harsh yellow card. And my instant reaction to the tackle was, he could be walking here. And that's even before I'd seen a replay. Um, and having seen it back, I think he's a very lucky boy. Oh, come on. It's a bit of a lunge, but it's not. It's nowhere near as bad a tackle as that. He, he wraps his leg around. I thought at the time he was late. He's rash. He's over the ball. His studs are showing as well. Like he's gone in with a, an opened boot on Armstrong. I'm not saying he's gone out to in, intentionally hurt Armstrong. I, think, I just think it's a mistimed tackle. But if there was the use of a... Um, fourth referee in a truck somewhere I think the referee would have definitely gone to a monitor and overturned it and changed colour of the card. Having said that nothing would have surprised me with Mr Webb's performance if I'm honest Um, I thought some of his picking up of fouls and what was a yellow and what wasn't a yellow was frankly alarming at times Um, Shea Charles should have been yellow carded in the first half um, and he didn't even get a talking to when he pulled deliberately pulled back one of our men in the centre of midfield. Um, and then, of course, he's the lad who then goes on to give the most deliberate handball you've ever seen in the penalty box um, towards the end of the first half. Whether or not his shirt was being pulled is subjective, I think, um, even though it's almost pulled up around his neck. We've already touched on the penalty. Mentioning whether or not VAR was in play or not probably is a good thing for us because I think if VAR was in play, then Southampton would have had a penalty in the first half when Mumba goes into the back of Walker-Peters. Um, I don't think it is a penalty myself, but you see them given every week in the Premier League with VAR available. And yeah, I just thought, again, some of his picking up of what was a yellow card, what wasn't, how it took Nate, you know, Nathan Teller, two fouls in about 20 seconds in the first half. Two of the most cynical, fa- one of them, it looks like Mumba makes an absolute meal of it. I accept. But then the second one, he just runs around after someone and kicks them. Like, why Why is the referee not having a word with him? Dan and I actually noted yesterday that um, Teller got Stuart Armstrong booked. Yes. Because Armstrong did his first kind of bad tackle straight after Teller had done two really naughty ones. And it was almost like you had your warning as a team. You'll get the yellow card for something that in isolation, I'm yeah. not sure it was a yellow card necessarily, but certainly would not know, you know, Teller certainly were more of a yellow yeah. card. I agree. Um, and then there's Che Adams bundles Connor Hazard into the into the net. It's as blatant a foul as you could see. And my only gripe with this is the referee doesn't even go and talk to Che Adams. He's not even interested in having a word with him. I'm not saying he should have booked him, but at least go and have a word with him about what he's just done. And actually, the more and more I think about it and what John said about um, the penalty that we didn't get with Hardy going to ground. Does it warrant a yellow card, really? I think that would be my one argument, whether or not... Is it actual blatant simulation? I would say not. I'd have to properly look at the rule 
before I give a total answer. I just think maybe after seeing it back, maybe a yellow card is harsh because as John says, there is potential mitigation as to how it's occurred with Bazunu rushing out at full speed. Hardy's going at full speed himself to try and get to the ball. Um, but of the three refereeing performances we've had this year, for me, I thought David Webb ranks as the lowest of the three, um, just because I, I just thought he was bad for both teams with some of his picking up of fouls and what was a, what constituted a yellow card and what wasn't. And as I said, we were perhaps fortunate that Dan Scar, um, there wasn't a replay available to the referee, but obviously Dan disagrees. Strongly. I thought Southampton were pretty dirty and pretty gamesmanshipy for a, you know, and that's probably to their credit because it's probably the sort of thing you need to do to be able to get out of this league. But anyone who thinks Russell Martin teams are just ticky tacky, pass you to death and play beautiful, elegant stuff should probably have watched the game yesterday. They've certainly got a, a steelier side to them. Um, their game plan to deal with Morgan Whitaker seemed to be to kick him, which, you know, I think on the one hand, it's probably very flattering of us and Morgan Whitaker that that is, you know, the Premier League team last season. That's the best way they can think of to stop him is just kick him up in the air. But probably going to get a few knocks this season if um, if that's everyone's strategy. Big fan of uh, Southampton fans um, and their outcry on on Twitter of being called um, dirty Northerners. Uh, that is unbelievably brilliant from our girl yet again. Um, obviously, as we know, anybody north of Ivy Bridge. Um, it gets the same chant. Uh, let's move on to a few Twitter questions then. But before that, we ran through some of the opinions on Twitter on uh, full-time thoughts, and that went down pretty well. So let's do it again. Sam says he's unsure about Warrington. Cundall getting flat for a couple of mistakes in the second half despite a cracking first half. Would like to see Randall start over Cundall instead of coming on the opposite way round. Can I, can I very quickly, before we move on, just jump on that? Uh, I'm willing to give Warrington a pass for his performance yesterday only because he is so short of game time at the moment. I think it was just evident how rusty he was. Um, I do think there is a good player there. And I think as the season progresses, we will really see what a good player Lewis Warrington is. I'm sure he's now stopped listening to this episode of the pod. Most probably. I hope not. I hope he goes and listens to our bonus episode in which... um... Paul, the Everton fan, praises him to high heaven and wants him in Everton's first team. Um, Lewin Reed says, Warrington and Cundall were so poor, Shuey Roulette didn't work today. But overall, if we put performances like that week in, week out, we'll be fine. Got to remember, Southampton are probably the league winners. Alan Woods says, just ran out of energy in the last 10 against a very strong team. Jack says that Southampton were poor time wasters, came to frustrate and take a point. Uh, Ian Sumner disappointed at the end and caught napping by a sucker punch of a goal um, and then there was one more that I wanted to read out but I can't find it um, let's just pick a random one Mark Harrison says happy enough we looked good for the part a little more quality up front but it's been a decent start to the season so let's move on to the Twitter now, and, Aaron, and Aaron and Chris Sutton will be taking your calls all night on 606 the number to call is no we're, we're part of the other Station, John, you should know this by now. I was going to say it's going to be Aaron and Jamie O'Hara fielding your calls. Oh, God. Other inscrutable chains of numbers are available. And and Jason well, Cundy. We've tried to get guests on and they just read our Twitter DMs and ignore us. Um, <clears throat> naming no names. Uh, they most probably won't listen to this anyway. Pilgrim Penny says, I don't know who wants this one. Do you want to take it in turns? Dan, Dan, you can have it. A rare back call from Shuey to sub all three midfielders. Two at the same time. Our midfield looked pretty shaky from the 80th minute. And that was a pivotal time of the match at 1-1. Uh, 
Thoughts on that? Well, yeah, Callum Wright for Azaz. Uh, no, Callum Wright for Cundall, wasn't it? Sorry. Um, it, it seems it seems logical. Um, I, I would have perhaps gone Randall first as a bit of a slightly more kind of solid option um, in at that time. But I, I, I think it kind of makes sense that, you know, um, those two would come on. I think, as you alluded to, though, the, the option perhaps that would have been better is maybe uh, Plegathuelo in that holding role um, instead of Warrington. Um, I'm not sure. Uh, I I don't know. I'm, I'm assuming here based on what we've heard about him, but um, I think he would be good enough on the ball to play that pivot role. Houghton, he was a funny performance from him yesterday because I thought the first kind of 20 minutes, he really struggled and then had the odd bad moment after that as well. But generally, I thought after that first 20 minutes, he was really, really good. And it showed in that, when we were playing out from goal kicks or right from the back, you know, that when he drops in, receives the ball with his back to play and just pings it out to a fullback first time was really, really good. He had one bad one, I recall, um, maybe about half an hour in, but it was really good uh, generally. And then when Warrington came on, I think he got caught twice trying to do that. And it just didn't, you know, meant we couldn't play out from the back. We were forced, as John said, to go longer to Wayne, which wasn't working. Um, so I, I don't think in summary that subbing all three midfielders was necessarily the wrong thing to do, but perhaps Plegathuelo is a, is a kind of more um, assured option uh, in the holding role might have been better. Yeah, especially when you when you consider his uh, highlights reel of, of him doing that against the likes of Ajax and um, I'm sure he could have managed a 10-minute cameo against Southampton. Um, Joe, I'll come to you next because you're next on my screen. Uh, Jack Leslie says, are you surprised at how well we've adapted to the step-up in quality and opposition? If our final ball was a bit better, we would be sat here with nine out of nine. And that it would have been fully deserved. Yeah, I'd somewhat argue that it'd be fully deserved nine out of nine. Um, I think we had one or two moments at Watford and we had two or three moments yesterday. But... I mean, at no point yesterday did I feel that we were ever in control of the game. And certainly at Vicarage Road, there was very few opportunities that I feel that we were in control by probably the last 15 minutes or so. Um, so I would argue that. But does it surprise me? No, because nothing at this club surprises me over the last two, three years with how we've coped with everything. Um, it's a constant um, step up every year. 80 points and not making the playoffs. You put that disappointment behind, disappointment behind you and finish with 101 points, winning 20 of 23 home games, whatever the record ended up being by the end of the year. Um, so, yeah, nothing surprises me, really. Um, I've said it countless times on various different podcasts. This is a young group. It's a hungry group. They want to do better. They want to improve. Um and the one thing you can't say is we may have lacked a bit of quality at Watford. We definitely lacked a bit of quality yesterday. One thing you cannot deny about this group is in all three games, they have given absolutely everything they had. And you saw that at full time yesterday, that two or three of them dropped to the floor. They gave as good as they got yesterday. It wasn't quite enough, but that's not to say that it won't be enough at Birmingham on Saturday. And that is the really pleasing aspect of the first three Just games. quickly, if I can ask a question of my own. I was going to ask this. So I mentioned this to Dan. I wasn't really sure what to make of that reaction at full time. Just on the one hand, 
showed incredible passion and that it reflected everything they put into the game. On the other hand, it was kind of the reaction of, you know, we've just lost a major cup final. Maybe I'm reading too much into this, but I just sort of wonder if it does sort of feel like we've already taken a kind of cup final approach to these early games. We've really like plowed everything into them emotionally, seemingly, as well as, you know, as well as quality. And I just, well, I mean, that, that just inevitably is going to have to stop because you can't play 46 cup final intensity games over the course of a season. That's not me saying the performance level is going to drop as a result of that, but I just, I'm just going to be interested to see how we sort of settle into this league when it becomes a bit more normal, you know? You know, after, after the Huddersfield game, I didn't think the players were sort of like doing a massive like John Pantsill-style lap of honour, um, waving their pants around or whatever, saying, you know, this is like the most amazing victory ever. It felt that even though we played the game with the intensity of a cup final, it sort of felt a bit more like this is just routine, this is what we do. So I don't know if I felt that sort of everyone falling to the floor yesterday and being really devastated was maybe a bit of an overreaction. But then again, you know, I'm someone who gets annoyed playing football at the in a very you know poor quality five aside league. I you can't you know I can't <laughs> tell tell players to you know control their emotional reaction or whatever. And that I'm not I'm not I'm not seeking to do so. I'm just sort of saying that there's part of me that was sort of curious about that reaction. I guess I do I do take the point. Um, but I and part of that I wonder if two or three of them drop into the floor the way they did. Maybe they thought that that was one that got away a little bit with the chances and the positions they took up in the first half, that they were sort of ruining some of the opportunities they turned down. Um, And that, you know, at the end of all that, at the end of the fact we had just played essentially a Premier League side, that we got nothing for our efforts. And only they will know. Um, But it certainly looked to me like we, we gave as good as we got. And that was just a... You know, they'd run out of energy and they just dropped to the floor. I just don't really recall seeing it much last season, I guess, when the stakes were also very high and there were also games, you know, where we got a bit of a kick in the teeth. But maybe I'm misremembering. It seems like a bigger loss than the actual major cup final that we played three months ago. What major cup was that, Joe, would like to know? I was going to say, what, ma- what major what major cup did we play in? We didn't make the League Cup final and we were knocked out in the FA Cup in the first round. So I've no idea what you're talking about, Aaron. We weren't in the Champions League, were we? We'll be making the League Cup final this year. I'm going to ask these two together because they're polar opposites. So Josh Tucker asks, have you ever walked away from a loss feeling so positive before? Great performance in, in which confirmed that we can more, more than match the big boys and will absolutely be fine competing in this league. And then Argyle Chance asks, is anybody on the pod willing to make the argument that this was a bad performance? We completed we competed fine in areas, but for the number of overlaps slash times we got turned in the midfield, we were awful from there. And the plan B has gone from Cosgrove and Ennis to just Ben Wayne. There you go. Two in I one. Would, I would say that, first of all, is, is Josh Sam Down's pseudonym because he said exactly the same thing. Sam, of course, as regular listeners will know, is never one to have a sort of nuanced reaction when he could veer into either catastrophizing or gleeful, <laughs> rapturous celebration. And yesterday he decided to go with the latter reaction, despite the fact that we lost, you know, sort of like very messianic tones coming from him in the in the group chat. Um, to which I would answer Chelsea in the FA Cup definitely was, you know, I came away there feeling as much as we missed that penalty and what might have been my attitude immediately after the end of that game was we have played bloody well here, and that is, you know, about as well as we could have done. Um, so I guess, yeah, I guess to answer sort of both the questions at once, I, I sort of fall somewhere in the middle, I guess. I think it's not the most positive about 
a defeat I've ever been. Um, but certainly it's it's much more positive than I usually am after we lose. Um, at the same time, you know, I'm not willing to say it was a bad performance because I don't think it was. Um, I take the, the latter questioner's point about the strikers, but I think that's something we're clearly working on and I expect there'll be movement there um, before the end of the window, as we've discussed many times on this podcast. Um, but but I think, you know, in the middle, um, yeah, it's about saying that, that there were elements of the game that we just were naive or didn't execute properly or, or, or you know, and, and obviously I'm frustrated by those things. And, and so overall very positive. But as I said at the beginning, yeah, I think that, while it was not in any way a bad performance, there are things very clearly to work on that would not lead me to the conclusion that I'm cock a hoop. Again, I'm gonna I'm gonna couple some questions. Dan asks Dan, I'm gonna give it to you. Anybody on the pod share my worry with playing Miller at left back, naturally a winger and looks defensively vulnerable? And Jack says, Why did Miller think it was the right idea to attempt an overhead kick off the line in the ninety-fifth minute? Well, weirdly, I thought Miller had some good defensive moments. That um, that I think was like a, a deep cross that he kind of just got his head on and flicked it away from the oncoming uh, forward was was a brilliant bit of defensive play. And I think he got a couple of decent tackles in as well. What disappointed me in his cameo yesterday was his um, like going forward. You know, he he um, he had a couple of instances where he just seemed to kind of completely lack any kind of finesse or technique and just kind of punt it 30 or 40 yards up the pitch not near any teammate which was a bit of a shame you know so you you kind of expect yeah in general when we play him at left back I would expect yeah it it would be a bit like you know when we played Andy Kellett there or, or something like that you know a bit of a maverick or Adam Lewis you know can't really defend very good going forward but suspect defensively I thought you know he wasn't he wasn't fab defensively but I thought he did a he did a good job um so, yeah, on the whole, though, a disappointing cameo and um, it'll be good to have Saxon early back. Hopefully he's not out for too long because um, by all accounts, he was excellent at Watford. Those people who listen to our uh, kind of pre-season predictions pod, so I had him down for young player of the season. So I've got high hopes for him and uh, I think Miller could be nudged down the peck in order when he's back. Uh, a little bit of any other business, then we'll preview Birmingham. Uh, Bally Mumba has been nominated for the 2022 23 PAF Sky Bet League One Players Player of the Year. You'll never sing that. The wing back who spent last season on load at Home Park played 47 times. This is this isn't news to any of you. Um, <clears throat> something about 101 points in the league. Nominated alongside Bally are the two top goal scorers in the division, uh, Johnson and Clark Harris of Peterborough United and Ipswich Town's Connor Chaplin, as well as fellow forwards Aaron Collins. And David McGoldrick, um, rounding off the six-man shortlist, is playmaker Barry Bannon of Sheffield Wednesday. We'll find out the result of that uh, during the 50th annual PFA Awards night on Tuesday, the 29th of August. There we go. It's interesting that at the 50th annual PFA Awards ceremony, they're going to be giving out the uh, PAF League One Player of the Season for next year, Aaron, that's that's really good that those two organisations are just intertwining like that. Piss off. It's not really news, but according to a Facebook group, Rate My Pasty, the Blisland Inn in Bodmin have started selling battered pasties. I don't know if anybody fancy one of those. This sounds like a segment of Have I Got News For You as featuring a guest publication. It's good, isn't it? I would happily try a, um, a battered pasty. Uh, we got tagged in that in the week, and I, I can't remember who by. Uh, 
Argyle's home park is the safest footballing stadium uh, in the Premier League and the Championship for match day parking, according to a new study. Have you ever parked anywhere safer, John? <laughs> um, I can't drive, so I've never parked anywhere. Oh, well, anyway, you, you won't you won't find the stadium safer. Moving on to actual any other business, Caleb Roberts has signed a new deal in the week, which sees him commit his future to Argyle until 2026. Pretty open question of how good is it that we're tying down youth talent on long-term deals? I would say that it's it's obviously a very a very good thing. It's not something we're unused to, given that Cooper, um, like clockwork, signed a new deal every summer for the last two, three years. Um, Randall's obviously tied himself down to a new contract. Isaka obviously signed his professional contract and I wouldn't be surprised if he signs a new one again later on in the season it, it it's an interesting one this because it sort of come out of the blue a little bit and I referenced that when we spoke about it in our group chats that it's all you know it's not one I ex- it's not news I expected so it'd be interesting to know why Caleb has been given a new contract I'm not saying that he doesn't deserve it because he had a very good pre-season and I think we I mean you and I Aaron appeared on Gab Sutton's pre-season preview for Argo um, which isn't available anywhere because it's not been put up anywhere and one of the things we touched on was that this conveyor belt of young players that are coming through um, you know Freddie, Caleb, Will Jenkins Davis who's gone off to sit on Torquay's bench at the weekend um, Oscar Halls who's scoring goals for Parkway etc um, you know, these are good young players that are coming through. Um, so it's obviously important that we tie them down to longer deals because if they progress like we hope they do, they're valuable assets. And I know you shouldn't look at young players as commodities as assets like we do, but at the end of the day, player sales will be very important to the future of the club moving forward. Um but I hope that above all, I'm glad Mr. Roberts, 2026, isn't it? It's a, a three-year extension to the deal he already signed on his 17th birthday. So um, I hope that he gets more game time as the season progresses. I hope he improves the way that the club clearly think he will um, because he is one that they're not shy of putting out there, are they? They're not shy of hiding their feelings towards him. So... Um, that's a very positive thing and let's hope that um, in the future he's had a good career at Argyle and he can go on to have a big career in football, which it looks like he has all the attributes to do so. A couple of questions to round up the pod and to preview Birmingham then. I can't imagine we'll be doing a bonus preview pod for this one. We might do them for home games only um, because they take time and effort. Um Birmingham unbeaten this season after wins against Bristol City and Leeds United in the league. Cheltenham Town in the Cup and drawing 1-1 with Swansea City on the opening day. John, how do you see this one going? Uh, Difficult um, to say. And also, I think it will be a difficult game. I think that if this had been last season, I would be a lot more confident. Um, Or indeed the season before when we did, in fact, actually beat Birmingham in the... uh, game that we mentioned earlier with the Ryan Law screamer and, and obviously even though they went down to 10 men in that game I felt we were very very good value for it even at that point so um, yeah there were a club where I think you've seen a big improvement in recent times I along with I think every other 
lower league pundit had them to go down last season uh, and it was not an amazing season for them, but they pretty comfortably stayed up. Um, John Eustace seems to be, uh, you know, doing some interesting things there as, as the manager. And then this year, you know, there seems to be a really, you know, impressive, positive buzz around the place. Um, they beat Leeds at home uh, in uh, their first home game of the season in the presence of Tom Brady, uh, who ITV's the championship program managed to get an interview with. I'm sure he's by far the most famous person uh, to appear on that show after uh, Clinton Morrison. Um, and uh, both connected with Birmingham, of course. Um, uh, but yeah, uh, so they had, um, they, they, yeah, they, they've got that sort of new uh, in, in investment coming in. Um, they won at Bristol City this weekend, which I think Bristol City are a very hot and cold team. So it's maybe a little bit difficult to draw, you know, massive conclusions from that. Um, my friend is a Bristol City fan suggests to me that Birmingham are a bit of a bogey club for them but um, yeah they've had a really impressive start to the season and I, th- I think they drew at Swansea on the opening day unless I'm mistaking them with someone else so yeah so they're unbeaten um, yeah and, and I think that'll be a really difficult test that being said you know again we haven't really seemed to fear anyone this season at least not you know in patches um, and I see no reason why we have to go there and and feel like we can't get something um i think it's absolutely you know what while they've improved a lot i don't see them being much higher in the league than maybe a sort of surprise playoff push i don't think like southampton they're going to be right up there so yeah i'm expecting a tough game but if you're you know if you're putting a a, a, you know water pistol to my head i'll say um i'll say one one i think um uh, yeah i don't necessarily envisage just going and winning up there but i think a point on the road is more often than not going to be a very good result for us this season. And uh, yeah, I back us to maybe uh, get another one up there after the, after the draw at Watford. A couple of bits of uh, history making happened last time we were there, wasn't it? Wasn't it? Um, I can't remember her name. Female referees first men's game. Rebecca Welsh. Rebecca Welsh. Yeah. Yeah. That will do. Um, She made her first men's I don't know whether and didn't Jude Bellingham's brother Job make his like professional debut in football? I think that, but I think that's right. And he and he also then scored twice at the weekend. Now at Sunderland, yeah. And I left him on my Championship fantasy football uh, bench, which was good. Um, Dan, what's more important for you uh, up at St Andrews, points or performance? It's probably getting to the stage now where I would say points. I think the first couple of games, I understand the question in terms of first couple of games, performance was very important. And Saturday shows that as well in terms of we needed to show, I think, that we could compete at this level and we belong at this level. And I think absolutely the first three performances, kind of irrespective of result, really, have shown that we belong here. And that's fantastic. You know, I'm really glad that, you know, we're not, you know, kind of even, let's say we'd got four points from three games, but really kind of scrambled the results. We'd been battered and we would just kind of got the points on the board through fortune or whatever. Um, no, we've we've earned them and, and we've um, put in three performances that range from probably pretty good to very good. Um so yeah, I think we 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 kind of settled. We're 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 here. We've arrived. We're we're doing a very very good job so far. So I think now let's see if we can stick some more points on the board. Um, and as John said, I think it's very possible that we can go there and get something. Um, I I back us. I think I think we might even get a win there. 
Um, just a just a bit of a feeling, nothing more than that. But I think we could we could we could get a three there. I I strongly think points on Saturday. I would in fact be delighted to go there and prove that we can shit out a a one nil win um, and sort of mix it up in a slightly different way to the very eye catching, pleasing uh, you know home performances we've had this season. Right then, Joe, score prediction. We just want everyone to go and have a lovely day and for the football to be the winner and, you know, everyone to come home. All, we're all friends at St Barnabas's. Well, I'm getting, I'm getting the mega bus up there and back, so I don't think I'm going to have a lovely day because of the uh, train strikes. Oh, dear. Score prediction. I don't do very well on these. They will lose then. <laughs> yeah, well, we've already said 4-0 Birmingham with a Lewis Gibson hat-trick of own goals, haven't we? It's it's interesting. John makes some very good points about how I wish we were playing Birmingham in the league last season compared to this year. They they clearly have the ownership change has happened. There's a real belief and there's a bit of momentum behind them. Um, I think I'm right in saying they've had pretty much two full houses with their home games this season, or certainly with the game against Leeds. It was a full house and it was a yeah. When you when you can full house considering that half of their stadium is in ruins then yeah still in still in the form of rubble yeah and i think they walked onto a load of pyrotechnics which might make chris errington's head explode um if they do something similar against us um so it, it will be interesting but equally i sort of feel like dan saying i don't see why you know with this group aren't going to go there and fear them they're not going to fear the occasion they're not going to fear everything that surrounds it. They're going to go there and they are going to give as good as they've got. Like John, I would sacrifice an element of performance for a result. Um, but equally, if I could guarantee a point at Birmingham, if that means we then get three at home to Blackburn the week after, then I'd be very happy. I th- I personally think we will get four points out of the next two. Um, in which way round that is, I don't know. Um, and I think that would be a fantastic return going into the first international break of the summer, of the summer, of the season. Um, so I pers- my gut feeling is that this one will be the draw of the two. Um, and I don't think it will be a high scoring draw. Um, so I'm going to be very plain and beige and go for 1-1. Um, and that would, yeah. That would that would do me down to the ground, I think. And John can enjoy his mega bus ride home. Dan, did you give a score prediction? I didn't, um, but I'll say I'll go for a three-two win. Okay, Rusty Bob. I'll go two-nil. To who? Don't know. It's a score oh, prediction, for... not a winner prediction. Nah, two-nil. Say, Karen. Two-nil, us. Why not? Um, I think we'll call that a night. Cheers, guys. Thank you. No worries. Thank you, Aaron. Cheers, mate. That's the end of another episode of Green and White brought to you by Argyle Life. Before you go, please make sure you drop us a review on whichever podcast platform you are using and make sure you follow us on Twitter at Argyle Life 1886. Cheers. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. 
Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.